0: Welcome to another episode of the Whistle Stop. I'm Drew Ammon. Our guest is Michael Casagrande, Alabama football beat reporter for AL.com, former Miami beat reporter for the South Florida Sun Sentinel, and a Western Kentucky University graduate. We're joined by Petey, Greg Peterson, and Stephen Jordan. The Whistle Stop is sponsored by Jason Stonebreaker at Campbell Chevrolet on Scottsville Road, in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Visit Jason to check out new and used vehicles, new Chevrolet Tahoes, Suburbans, Traverses, and the like. Call or text Jason at 270-996-8365 to schedule your test drive today. Also check out campbellchevrolet.com.
1: Michael, first of all, thanks so much for joining us. Good, thanks for having me sorry talk about your background for a minute because you're a Louisville Kentucky native, but uh, talk about your early start in journalism. I want to know about uh, your time at Western Kentucky University and what the WKU herald.
2: That was great. It was kind of one of those things where I worked on the college or the the high school paper my senior year at Mail High School and covered, uh, you know, mostly football. And, you know, my first interview was Bob Redman on the football field as he was, flying the field i was walking by with my little notebook taking notes of whatever he was saying but uh, i came to western i uh, knew i wanted to work in you know in newspapers so i applied to the herald uh, during the master plan week the orientation week they gave me a tryout story i was writing stuff before i even went to a class so it was kind of one of those things where they kind of brought me in and i kind of caught the bug that i already thought i had and pretty much worked there the entire time from. You know, before classes started, so graduation day, covered almost all the sports. Volleyball, the first semester might have been one of my favorite experiences, covering Travis Hudson, a guy I still see from time to time, keep in touch with. I said I peaked the very first beat uh, with having the best coach I probably ever covered. So, yeah, it was a great experience.
1: And Western Kentucky seems like it does a tremendous job preparing you for the real-world experience in journalism. What about the program there at Western?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I mean, the program, has some good professors and good teachers, but I think so much of it is truly with this profession. It's it's about practical experience, and so much of it, of what I got out of it was from working at the Herald and and getting your hands dirty. And I think it's something you have to experience more than you can necessarily learn in a classroom. Um, you can learn some things, some techniques, and some ways to approach things, but I think it's kind of one of the things where you have to get into the to the field. You have to try things out. You have to trial and error. You have to fail a few times and kind of see if it's if it's for you because it's definitely one of those things where it might seem fun and interesting, but might not be you know best for your skill set. And I think it's the only the only way you can really find that out is if you you go to the lab and you test it, like we did at the Herald. So it was everything I could have wanted it to be, and that's well, why I'm still involved today as an alum, trying to help out with the, the current class and everyone who during my the same shoes that I was in back in, you know,
1: the early two thousands. You covered some big time programs. Talk about your time in Miami, living in Miami, just being on South Beach, covering the U. What was that like for you overall?
2: Yeah, I wish I could have been on South Beach more. Uh but <laughs> I was there for fourteen months from July of twenty twelve till August of twenty thirteen, which was right in the heart of the Nevin Shapiro scandal. They had their best basketball season. Probably ever uh, with Shane Larkin and that crew, all uh, well in the middle of that. So it was an incredibly busy time. Learned a lot. Learned a lot about covering stuff off the off the field, dealing with attorneys, with the NCAA. Uh, look, a lot of people think that this job is all going to games and eating popcorn and hot dogs in the press box, and it's it's so much more. You know, so much more than going to games and writing about them. Uh, you know, that was certainly the case in Miami having to uh really deal with some pretty uh heavy things that were outside of the normal realm of sports but it was a it was a good experience the weather was great in the winter time uh just got back from there with the championship game and i think that's the major thing that i would miss was that one winter was the most comfortable weather you've ever experienced um even though i was probably indoors most of the time having to work But, uh, yeah, it was an interesting experience. I was going to say,
3: you kind of mentioned dealing with a wide variety of people during the the Shapiro uh, investigation and everything with with, uh, coaching soccer with football and, and basketball. How much did you learn during that time as far as relying on sources and being
2: able to know when to run with that? There's a new ethical dilemma every day sometimes with stuff like that, who to trust. And you always gotta verify things, you gotta you gotta double check everything, you can't just rely on one person. But I think it was it was an interesting time dealing with, you know, different attorneys involved in the case who were they definitely had agendas and they wanted they wanted things out there, um and I kinda had to decide whether was it worth it? Was it worth is what they have worth putting out there, uh is it newsworthy. I think that's always what it comes down to. You know, they might want you to do something, but is that, you know, best for the readership or is it best for the client so it's that was a kind of a major thing and that's something that it's always it has it pays to have good editors good people to talk to um because i'm never out there having to make my own decisions on all these things Or would have to be run up the flagpole anyway but it was uh you know i think every day is a learning experience on that and i don't think you ever you're never done you know i've never been like then I'm, I know everything I need to know. It's just now I just need to apply it all every day. Every day is something different, and that's going to be good and bad. Sometimes you wish there would just be a a normal, boring, quiet day. Go to the office, come home. You know, the day is never over until nothing's happened. That's
1: what I always say. Let's skip your time at Alabama because you're covering a legend, and during the fact, Nick Saban just picked up national title number seven as sixth at Alabama. The remarkable thing is that he has six titles in 12 years. You talk about a stretch like that and it makes it easy to write. Everybody wants to cover a winner and, and that's heightened even more when you get the cover coach saving every day. But what's the experience like for you?
2: Yeah, I mean and, and I, I might even offer the the other side of that is sometimes it's not always easy covering uh you know a winner in that sense to where every day kind of feels the same. Sometimes you almost want a variety of stories to be able to tell that I mean, I say sometimes it's like covering an assembly line. It's the, every day is the same, you know, every game sometimes feels the same. The, the storylines don't change as much. They're just killing people. And it can be sometimes difficult to to tell us the same story over and over again. So I, I think, I mean, in some senses uh, it sounds like complaining about covering a, a ch- championship team, but I guess that's what
3: <laughs>
2: any journalist will, will complain about anything no matter what, but, um, you know, it can be challenging. I mean, it's a program that's very buttoned up, very difficult sometimes to penetrate and uh, get into the people who will, will talk to you outside of the normal channels, um, relationship building is difficult because there's a lot of, they saw a lot of distrust, to try to, to keep people from talking to reporters. Um, so, you know, that could be difficult and this year in general, just with uh, being outside the building doing everything by Zoom has been um, a challenge in the sense of you just don't have that day-to-day, the the offhand conversations you might have in the hallway as opposed to, you know, you're just staring into, your, into the box on your, on your kitchen table. And that's where really the only inter- interaction you have with anybody. It's a lot more sanitized. So, you know, that's been a, a challenge in that sense, but, you know, every program has its, its positives and negatives and, you know, I've I've been around, I guess, long enough now to
4: experience a little bit of all of that. So, Michael, Steven, you've covered um, Saban for some time now. Uh, I know there's been the, art, the the rat poison. He always says, you know, the media just likes to throw stuff at a wall and see what sticks. Do you have any articles you may have written that have never actually been published or any stories that have never been published?
2: I mean, there always are. I mean, I, I'm actually the guy who called rat poison, so I know
4: he was staring right at me
2: when he he made that. Famous comment, so that, that moment always stands in my mind. But, I mean, I don't know if we've ever not published anything because they didn't want us to. We all have our, our own bosses, and, you know, they don't dictate what we write or don't write. So there's
1: never been a moment where, you know, they've killed the story that I wanted to write. You know, Michael, when you consider what you got to cover, the way Coach Shaven has evolved, you look at the strong run game and extremely good defense that he's been able to go with for a good portion of his career, but then he was able to evolve to the point where he adapted so much to the spread offensive era. Where, in particular, this year you look at a preheaded headed monster in Mac Jones, Najee Harris, and Devontae Smith. And what is it about him that makes him stand out above all coaches in that regard from a schematic philosophy?
2: Yeah, I think it was just maybe his willingness to to adapt
1: to a changing world
2: that he was kind of um you know and the same thing happened with bear bryant that there you know people were saying that he was you know losing his touch his teams weren't weren't as good as they were early in his career and they they adapted and changed the wishbone offense and kind of had his he kind of had a second you know a renaissance in his career where alabama were you know go back to 2012 2013 alabama was starting to look a little bit like a dinosaur in relative sense. Um, they, I mean, they
4: never really fell off
2: that far, but you could tell that the Ole Misses, the Auburns, the, you know, the up-tempo offenses were were coming into the fashion that was the new way to play offense, play football. So um, he, you know, wasn't going to just stay with the same uh, run first, three yards, cloud of dust, um, Mark Ingram, you know, running back, Greg McElroy, quarterback kind of offense that they wanted to, evolved so he went out and found coaches that were willing to take that program to or take the offense to a different dimension that they had been in so um that willingness to not be stubborn is important having the right people around you it's never just a one you know one coach never is the you never can do everything in football it's such a nuanced sport with so many different aspects of it so it's always about having the right people around him and i think he's done a pretty good job of Hiring different kinds of voices that not necessarily stay forever, but when they're there, they've, they've done pretty good things. And, you know, offensive coordinators like Wayne Kiffin and Steve Sarkis and all these guys are going on to, to better jobs. You, know, you can tell that he's, he's done a good job of again evolving his hiring process.
0: Stay tuned for part two of our talk with Michael Casagrande. The Whistle Stop is sponsored by Jason Stonebreaker at Campbell Chevrolet on Scottsville Road in Bowling Green, Kentucky.
3: So Michael, I wanna ask you about first early interactions. Um and I was uh involved with athletics at, at Western Kentucky and you were the, the beat reporter as you mentioned for Travis Hudson's volleyball team. We had Travis on in episode thirty eight, but one thing I wanted to highlight for you is I was an early critic of yours.
0: Uh, uh, I remember I took
3: because, <laughs> because I took offense to it to an early story that you did suggesting that that travis hudson what was going on with transfers and was he being clean about it and i took that to the total extreme not understanding really how the transfer market worked and that kind of thing and so you're welcome for exposing you to early critics because uh, yeah. i i know you do that uh, and i'll say that jokingly uh, i know you uh probably have plenty of those uh in your inbox these days but what's it been like to uh, to deal with some of those critics that think you should be covering the team this way, more so as a fan than as a scribe. Yeah. No, yeah. And that's a good point. And, I, and this is, I, I didn't even remember what the subject of your
2: angry letter to the editor was. So that's, I don't know if I still have those papers somewhere. I need to go back and look at it, but yeah, no, you're, you're the first of, of many. So congratulations. You're on the ground floor of uh chorus of haters. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, uh, but yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, it's, it's fine. You deal with it. You don't take any of it personally. You know, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever personally known any of the people who send the, the nasty emails or tweets. They're, they're anonymous people out there mostly who don't even give their name or use their picture with anything that they, they have. So I just kind of, and if they have a valid concern, I'll listen to it. But if it's, if it's just, you don't do what I want you to do, then it's kind of, you know, I'm sorry. Sorry about that. It's not, I gotta do my job. I'm a professional. I think I know what I'm doing. If I'm not fitting your needs, and sorry about that. If you don't want to read me, you don't have to. It's kind of one of those deals that you're not gonna make everyone happy, and you're not know, trying to make people upset. But um, if it happens, it happens, and that's just part
3: of the job. And is that something that you would give advice to, you know, journalism majors out there that are facing, I wouldn't say backlash, but you know, some critics, and especially early on in your career when you're still learning at a, at a student newspaper? Yeah, just don't take it personally. You know.
2: You have to have thick skin. It can be ugly at times. And, you know, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And that's, uh, I always try to, you know, own up to it. If something if something was wrong in the story, if there was something that, you know, if there was a, a fact error, I'd like to correct it. And that's something that you have to be open to that. You can't just be totally combative or angry or whatever with anything. Someone says that if there's a valid point, then, you know, we should listen to it. We should correct it. And, you know, I think that's what sets us, you know, apart is we're willing to admit our, our errors when we when we make them and we'll be happy to correct them but if it's a if your opinion is that what I did was wrong and if your opinion you don't like the way a story is written that's just you know that's just going to be the way it is I'm not going to re, redo it because of you know one guy in my inbox has an issue but just kind to deal with it be smart with it don't go don't overreact to the criticism you, people on Twitter if you have to it, it's just part of the business and it's we're more accessible than ever these days, and that just leads to more positive and negative voices. You know, there there are
1: positive people too, and
2: that can be, you know, that can be nice as well. But usually people aren't reaching out to say thank you.
1: Being in this business for quite a few years now, you always kind of get that adrenaline rush when you're at the games, and what's one, maybe two of a set of pinch-me moments that you can pass along I know when I've been to Bryant-Denny Stadium, I'm blown away. The game day atmosphere is incredible. I experienced the LED light show there a few years ago. I mean, it's awesome. I don't know what it's like for you in the press box week after week after week, being in Tuscaloosa, then going on the road. I do know, for me, Bryant-Denny Stadium, that was one of the pinch-me moments for me. It's like, wow, this is SEC football at its best. They seem to just get it in Tuscaloosa, everything from when the players walk into the stadium, from the hospitality getting the media where they need to go what would be your perspective on that
4: yeah no
2: it's it's, it's something that i I kind of think about and i try to keep that perspective on things because it's easy sometimes to get jaded by doing the same thing you know or we can get jaded in this business to like well this is just our office it's no big deal we're just going to the biggest football game in the country right now and and i try to remind myself that you know the first game i ever covered was a volleyball game in the preston center i was sitting on the floor uh because they were renovating diddle and i was sitting on the floor with a notebook uh in you know pretty much a, a workout gym watching college volleyball so there are things that you don't feel like you're too big for anything uh, i always try to i think i learned the first championship game i covered i think mac mac brown said to always take a moment during the national anthem to kind of look around that's when he would Take a look around and kind of soak in the moment um and i've tried to do that with the the big championship games to kind of center myself and like, well you know this is this is a job this is your business you need to be professional but there are moments where you know during the national anthem of big games to kind of take a deep breath look around and say you know this is kind of what you always wanted to do and you're doing it so i guess that's how i try to keep perspective on things yeah, I think the first championship game in the Rose Bowl, Alabama-Texas, was a real, well, moment. Kind of a whirlwind first season of covering Alabama, and it was Pasadena, the sun setting on the mountains. It was everything that you kind of think about with college football. and I mean, there have been several since then, but that was kind of the first the moment that
4: will stand out. So you're from Louisville. When you come home, where's the first restaurant you go to eat? Oh, well.
2: Uh, I, people, this is always controversial, and I know everyone either loves it or hates it, but I love Skyline Chili, and I don't care. It's kind of a running bit on Twitter, but if, if I, I've had, like, one meal where I could pick, and I've chosen Skyline Chili, and I know people don't, not everyone loves it. It's what I love. I mean, there, there's so many different restaurants that have changed, you know, come and, come and gone since I've lived there that I don't even remember really what what's around at this point anymore, but I always know there's going to be a Skyline somewhere near my parents'
4: house. Of all the towns that you get to travel to in the SEC covering Alabama, do you have like a favorite town that you like to go to that you enjoy the most and maybe a favorite restaurant in, in that town?
0: I love
2: Baton Rouge.
4: I love going
2: to cover LSU. I mean, those the night games in Tiger Stadium, other than this year when it was almost empty, I don't think there's an atmosphere like it anywhere, including Bryant Denny. And I'll say I've said that before. It's no disrespect to – Alabama 'cause because I guess I've seen Alabama games when there hasn't been there haven't been a full and it's not as wild. But every time I'm in Baton Rouge, it's the biggest game, you know, in the country that week. So, yeah. In terms of restaurants, I don't know. Seems like we're always kind of so in and out that I don't, I don't always have the time to. I mean, Oxford. There's some good places on the square in um in at Mississippi.
3: How about press box food? Who has the best press
2: box spread? Mm. Yeah, it depends. I mean, this year is a tough year because everyone's giving you box food, and it, it wasn't the same. I mean, the, Alabama had some pretty good years there where there was some. we were getting like high-end catering, um, so I can't complain about what they give you there. But you really can't complain about any any food that someone gives you for free. And people hate when writers like me would complain about the the quality of free food. So I would try to stay out of that game. But anything's
3: um, better than Godfather's Pizza, right?
2: You know, and people make fun of me because I, I actually kind of like that at the Western Games. <laughs> I, I Sometimes people make fun of me for having kind of bad taste in food and, and liking things that aren't as good. But I guess maybe it's just like Stockholm Syndrome that I kind of got into. And I went to a gas station one time to get Godfather's Pizza, and it wasn't as good for whatever reason as it would be in the arena. So I don't know.
4: Those pepperoni rolls at Godfather's Pizza are sure mighty good, too. Really, I haven't gotten that far. So one more for you and then we'll we'll let you go. Where do you kind of see yourself maybe five to 10 years down the road? You know, we all have goals in our life, professional and personally, where do you see yourself five to 10 years down the road? I mean, is it covering Alabama football? You think you've reached the mountaintop or do you have more goals in mind? That's
2: a scary question.
4: I have had this conversation in this house
2: more than once about what's the future look like. So that's, uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. The business is, is evolving and changing and, you know, you never really know where things are going. I think I have a pretty good job right now. It's a good question. It's one that I have struggled with at times where I'm not totally sure where everything is going. I don't I don't dislike my job. Never thought I'd live in Alabama for more than a, a decade, but here I am. Uh, so, yeah, I, that's a great question. It's a, I hate to, I don't want to flap to act like I am evading you, but I, I don't know. I don't know just yet. It's kind of one of the things that, We'll have to see where the business goes because it's, it's ever-evolving.
1: Thanks so much for taking some time. Yeah. Take thanks, thanks Michael. Appreciate it.
0: You've been listening to The Whistle Stop, sponsored by Jason Stonebreaker at Campbell Chevrolet on Scottsville Road in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Call or text Jason at 270-996-8365 to schedule your test drive today. And check out the hashtags, buy from Stoney, Stoney Cells, and BG Cars for the latest new and used car information. Also, log on to CampbellChevrolet.com. Find the Whistle Stop wherever you get your podcast, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at whistle stop Pod.